Welcome to the No I in Writing podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm an independent author. I'm Christy, and I'm a book coach. And we're here once again to dispel the myth that to be a writer is to suffer alone. So in this episode, what we're going to talk about is the idea of pantsers versus plotters. Christy, why don't you tell me what you understand that dichotomy to be? Where does it come from and how does it play into writing? So a pantser is somebody who flies by the seat of their pants. I can't not think that it's somebody who walks up behind somebody else and pulls their pants down. I think it's kind of an unpleasant word. As somebody who's a little bit of a pantser, I I wouldn't want to self-identify that way. As a pantser? As a pantser. What would you like to identify as? What would you call that? Well, I was talking to my friend, Philip Partington, who we talked about in our last episode. Hi, Phil. Hi, Phil. Again, happy birthday yesterday. And he was telling me about another metaphor, which I really like, which is the idea of being a gardener, which is kind of in between what we should define what a plotter is. Okay. So pantsers versus plotters. I've also heard them called architects. So An architect is nice too. Yeah. So a plotter is just somebody who writes out their plot probably in an outline before they start writing. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of, there's this dichotomy between the two. I don't think most people are truly one or the other. Yeah. I think like most binaries, it's fairly reductive. Yeah. It's a sliding scale. and It is. It's like the Kinsey scale of writers. Yeah. And yes. so you're talking to Phil and you're like, oh, we're doing this pantser versus plotter thing. And what did he say? So he said that he likes the idea of a gardener, which I think George R.R. R. Martin okay. came up with, but maybe other people as well. So the idea of a gardener is that you have all these elements of a story that you kind of plant in your plot and then you see how they grow and Mm -hmm. then you prune and you see which elements are healthier and happier and take away elements that aren't working quite as well. And so it is literally a more organic metaphor, but the idea is that there is an amount of planning that goes into it. Mm -hmm. That amount of planning can vary depending on what kind of gardener you are but that you also work organically with the story as it develops. Okay. So it's kind of an in-between kind of way of approaching pantsers versus plotters. It turned out in my first book, Systemic, I was definitely a pantser. I didn't know I was writing a book. I was just following my whim. I was following my white rabbit, whatever you want to say. And, And that's how that book came into being. And as I've moved forward in my writing, I've had to become more of a plotter and more of an architect. And I'm probably more of a gardener as well, because once you've got a book behind you and you've got to close out all the loose threads and you got to do some stuff. So there was that aspect of it. And also figuring out that I was a pantser on my first one, I really wanted to try to be a plotter and see what would happen and uh, which one would bring me more joy. And and it turns out being a pantser is kind of a lot more fun. But it's harder to, to do that and be efficient. So there's your balance there. So are you saying then that as somebody who's writing a trilogy, mm-hmm. that it's very difficult to be a pantser for every book of a trilogy? Uh, I, I've only written one trilogy, so I can't speak for all trilogies. But I will say the amount of forethought that I need to bring to the books as I as, as it progresses Because it's not just, hey, where's this thing going to go? I know I've got to close it down. And so that becomes a a bigger concern. And it's very hard to ad-lib your way into that. That said, getting back to the garden metaphor, all the 
fun writing and all the surprising writing tends to be less cerebral. And so I find that I have to do some combination of both or I don't, I don't have inspiration. It's harder to write, easier to structure, easier to avoid mistakes, harder to actually do the construction of the writing. So, you know, there you go. So I have a question for you then. Sure. If, so if host was more plotted Mm -hmm. because you kind of needed it to be, were there any moments of serendipity where you felt like your gardener or pantser self rose to the top and something that you kind of discovered bubbling up from your subconscious or from your stream of consciousness one day? Well, yeah, absolutely. The thing is, I still do that ad-libbing. And it's just instead of ad-libbing at the word level, right, I'm writing. And I, like today I was writing in, in my, my new book and and I was like, having a conversation and someone said something and it totally changed the scene, right? There's down at that level. I'm like, Ooh, that's really fun. I'm going to follow that. And that's just down at the word level. And when you're outlining something, the same thing happens. You're like, Oh, this happens. Then this happens like kind of scene level stuff. It's still, it's still creative and ad libby. It's just at a different layer of the, of the structure. But the thing that really happened to me in host there was a scene where I just had people are always eating in my books where they're having dinner and there was Rayon, who's my main character and a bunch of young kids having a, a kid conversation around a dinner table. And that was just a sort of throw off scene that I did. And it absolutely made Rayon have a friend and made this and built all the tension and the kids and what they were saying. And, and that one conversation within that where I was just writing and I want to make sure that it sounds realistic and letting those kids talk the way kids talk. You spent a lot of time editing that book saying, well, here's the structure of society and all the tension. All of that really originated from that one conversation about how the kids thought of the professors and things like that. So that one moment of ad-libbing and just playing around with kids talking really changed the entire trajectory of the book. So It's really interesting that you mentioned that scene specifically because – I did think that was one of my favorite parts about the book was young people trying to find their voices Mm -hmm. and kind of turning that snarky gossip Mm -hmm. into something a little more revolutionary. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think was really cool. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who who weren't there watching Christy and I edit a book, that was it was pivotal not only because of that, but yeah, you read those stories and you're like, these aren't just kids being snarky, which is what I was doing and I was developing it and I really liked their voice, but you're like, they're talking about a thing. And so getting back to the collaboration of how I, as a writer, can come up with this thing and then you as an editor can reach into that thing and pick at it and pull on it and then pull that thread out and build it into something else. So there's both the improvisation part, but also having an editor who is paying enough attention and cares enough about the world that you're building to draw that into a meaningful commentary on society. So both of those things are really important to just that one little scene within the book. They're definitely. I do think sometimes when we're telling jokes in our own books, mm-hmm. that sometimes we don't see what's serious behind them. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. jokes are always hiding something interesting. Like mm-hmm. there's, and, and when you're making the joke, it can feel like a throwaway line. It's like, oh, this was kind of clever. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of proud of myself in Mm -hmm. this moment. And then maybe somebody else reading that understands, oh, I think I just learned something really important about some 
kind of underlying bubbling tensions in this world mm-hmm. that might need to be more explicit. Yeah. That is that the, the reader may need more of this information. Yeah. And so to connect it back to collaboration, I do think that having a reader allows you to connect kind of your own stream of consciousness, subconscious ideas to something that a reader can understand and to just make the implicit more explicit in those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And getting to collaboration and the the subject of our talk, which is the pantser versus plotter, gardener versus architect, however you want to do it. As an editor who's dealing with books, I'm curious to know two things. One is, what, can you tell the type of person that you're editing? So I'm curious about that. Like, oh, this is obviously a pantser book because it's all loosey-goosey, or this is too stilted or structured, or, or is there anything like that? And also, do you feel that it's more beneficial as an editor to be brought into one of those different styles of writing at different times, the same time, or how do you look at them differently? I think as an editor, I will say that I I kind of cheat because I usually ask people about their process because for me, it's really important. So I haven't looked at many finished books where I haven't also been able to have a conversation about whether they were working from an outline or not. And so it's really good information for me to have. So I would say a pitfall potentially of working from an outline is sometimes things can feel a little bit forced Mm -hmm. and there can be moments when characters are acting in ways that maybe don't feel quite right. If you're adhering really tightly to an outline, that's not always true. And those things can very much be corrected during editing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're editing something that's been written by somebody who's in full pantser mode, (laughs) that is really funny to say then the goal might be to bring more structure to Mm -hmm. it. I also don't believe that most people are purely one or the other. Yeah. And so it it depends on where you come into the editing process. And one of the places I really like to come into the process is actually when somebody has an idea and they Mm -hmm. haven't written anything, because I think there are some really important questions before plot. So this is going back a little bit to what we were talking about in our last episode, and that is the question of how do you begin? The Panzer versus Plotter dichotomy leaves out what I think is the most important opening question to a project. Mm -hmm. And that is, who's your main character? What do they want? What are they afraid of, especially in themselves? What's their kind of big fear or misunderstanding about themselves? And then how does that desire change and grow throughout the book? Mm. And so I think doing character work actually before you sit down to do either pantsering or plotting can be really helpful. Yeah. It's interesting that you think that the main character development and character work ahead of time is interesting. So the reason I say that is in both of my books that I've done so far and in my third book, I have characters and I think they're pretty strong characters, but all of them without exception developed over time. And what I mean by that is like, I'll take a character and I might have a rough idea of who they are. But a lot of times the people I think are heroes turn out not to be. The ones I think are swell guys turn out to be kind of like shallow jerks. And I kind of get to know who they are by the things that they say and the things that they do. And often those are things that I do not plan. So there's even a pantser part of the character that I think is interesting. And again, getting back to collaboration is a lot of 
both you and my my last editor there was so lem is one of my characters who was my big disaster and i always thought lem was kind of a misunderstood grumpy guy or whatever but he turns out he's a total butt you know and i don't think i really realized how big of a total butt he was until my editor started going why is he such a jerk and i'm like god he is kind of a jerk i just wanted him to be a guy who who makes poor decisions but then he's got these all sorts of insecurities and things like that and i just learned that about him both by writing the books and listening to my editors talk to me about the characters. And so, you know, just another aspect of it. I think one of the great things about Lem and about kind of the organic way that he developed is that he's one of those people who isn't clearly a bad guy Mm -hmm. and who is probably, I would say, would be fairly charming if you met him in a bar. That was always the impression I got. Mm -hmm. But he does wreak havoc on the lives of the people around him whole world (laughs) and the whole world but i would say he specifically wreaks havoc and maybe one of the reasons that both i and your other editor noticed it on the women in his life through some of his resentments or his insecurities end up surfacing in ways that that are sometimes inadvertently and sometimes directly harmful yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Like, I wouldn't call him misogynist, but he's at least an idiot. And so it's more like he's shooting himself in the foot by doing things. And so and the reason I say this, like, there's not like him abusing anybody or being anything mean like that. He's just doesn't make good decisions and things don't work out with him. So do you disagree with that? I think I disagree with it do a you? little bit. I think, again, this is what I one of the things I really liked about yeah. your book is that because he does harbor so much resentment. And I think I did read it as misogyny that he yeah. didn't like the fact that Aaron was better at, than he was at Oh things. yeah, there is those things. And yeah. I just felt I felt that really deeply. And so that the way that he I may have put that in there for you. Because you called it I'm like I I think I I think I enhanced some of those characteristics specifically because you picked up on them and so I kinda cranked them up a little bit. They felt very real. Well, though. I know, I know. Well, that's another one of those things where you like found something and you picked at it and I'm like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna lean in with it. There's some stuff about ma'am that you did too on that that you just kinda picked at and you kinda drew out, so Well, and I think it was it was these hidden resentments. Mm-hmm. And I think what I really liked about it is that Lem I absolutely agree that on the scale of zero to horrifying, he's not a monster. <laughs> but the way that he tells his own story and the mm-hmm. way he mythologizes himself mm-hmm. and the way that he buries his hurt mm-hmm. towards being rejected um, mm-hmm. with Aaron in a way that totally rewrites history. I mean, kind of literally. Kind of literally. <laughs> like, very literally. I loved that. And I think I did I did feel misogynistic, but it also felt like something we're all at risk of doing all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that is the stories that we tell ourselves about our relationships can actually have a lot of power. Yeah. And so that is, to go back to the pantser versus plotter yeah. thing, I think that's what's interesting is when it comes to human psychology, mm-hmm. I do think that some of the most interesting things that are going to happen with your character are going to happen over time. Mm-hmm. And so when I say that people should plan their main character beforehand or start with that. I do think that starting with a powerful main character is a very good way to have a compelling plot, Mm -hmm. partially because your main character is the window through which you're going to see the world. Mm -hmm. And often in world building, if you start with a character and build your world around that character, you can come up with kind of a interesting and compelling and rich world 
that serves what that character needs to struggle and to strive and things that are going to bring them low and things that they're going to respond well to. So I won't say it's the interesting way or the most useful way to begin, but I think it is a really powerful way to begin is to structure whatever plan you have for your book through a main character who wants something very badly and who also has some deep struggles that they're dealing with. So, so what about you? So you're, you're also writing a book and you said the other day that you had dandelion fluff brain. So you kind of go everywhere, which is kind of a pantser statement, but I get the impression talking to you that you are thinking through and structuring. So where do you fall on that spectrum yourself currently? Because I think it changes over time, depending on what you're doing. But currently, if you were to describe yourself, where are you on that spectrum? I think I'm probably more on the pantser spectrum. Mm -hmm. I do think that because I tend to think in terms of character, I have a fairly good sense for my main character's emotional arc, for their interior arc. I have less of a sense for the exterior arc that will match that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I actually think, and, and again, I think this is why the, where the binary falls apart. I think actually one of the distinctions is people who are really good or it's people who find it very intuitive to do interiority versus people who find it more intuitive to do exteriority. Because I know some people who have a really good sense for their exterior plot and other people who have a much better sense for the character's development over time. And so bringing those things in harmony, which I think is really important, you want things to actually happen in your book. You also want your character to develop. And so I think the challenge that I am currently facing is making the exteriority, making the active events of my book match the character's interior emotional arc. So it's sort of like you've plotted out the, you want this woman to start here with these thoughts and feelings and this level of self-knowledge or or denial, depending on how she is. And you want her to develop through what I would call an arc that is, like you said, interior. And so now you're like, okay, what what causes that to happen? And that's what you're trying to bring in. And, And so those pressure points from outside are where you struggle with. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. And so I think, again, understanding what draws you to storytelling and leaning into that, especially at the beginning, but then also recognizing that there are probably elements that you're going to need to bring into balance. And that can be where bringing in outside people can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a really good sense that you know one part of your story really well, then you can ask somebody else questions about the other part. Mm -hmm. Because... When you are asking an editor questions, a beta reader questions, it's really important that you actually be self-aware about what kind of feedback you want. And this is veering, I think, into other other territories of things that we've covered, but to be self-aware about the things that you need help with versus the things that you actually feel pretty strong about. Because nobody, your reader's not going to know that. Mm-hmm. So it's a good conversation to have. Yeah, it's kind of nice with readers and collaborators to not clue them into your weak points and see if they pick up on them, and they'll often find ones that you don't. We're going to have another episode, I think, about beta reading and how how to deal with beta readers, which I think are my, is one of my, besides working with my editor and book coach, 
Definitely one of my favorite things in the world to do is beta reading, so we'll get into that too. I think that we're going to call that. We'll try and keep it a short episode, concise. So thank you once again for listening to the No I in Writing podcast. I'm Christy. And I'm Chris. And if you ever have any questions that you want us to cover, uh, please just drop us a line. All of our info is going to be down in our liner notes. And we would absolutely love to hear from you, our websites, our email addresses, all that stuff. And uh, we are doing our best to do shout outs to people that we either mention in here or we, uh, you know, steal their brilliant thoughts. And we're, we'll be putting those links down in the liner notes as well. Anything else you'd like to say, Chrissy? I think Chris is saying is that if you want to be very famous. Famous. By us mentioning you, then send us a note. Yeah. And then we'll make you famous. Or just be really kind of clever. If you're clever and we hear about something clever you said that's pertinent, we'll, we'll steal that too. The other thing I want to say is I think on future podcasts, we'll cover maybe some different outlining techniques. Mm-hmm. And so I know that when I first thought about outlining, I started writing one that looked like the ones we made in middle school with like a Roman numeral um, and like I a little... do that. You still do that. I, I mean, and, no, I don't do Roman numerals, but I mean, I definitely do hierarchical outlines. And for those of you who, who don't know about Scrivener... Scrivener is an outlining beast. Like it is, it is the outliner for all outliners, and I absolutely love it. Even when I'm, even when I'm pantsing my way, I use Scrivener all the time, and I'm trying to foist it upon Christy right now because I do love it so. So 